Wider's ethnic diversity matter in British boardrooms. Building an inclusive and diverse workplace which draws on the talents of all people is vital to any economy. If companies are not recruiting from the whole of society, then they are missing out on talent. Back in 2017, Sir John Parker led a review into the ethnic diversity of boards in the UK. In February of this year, 2020, an update of the report was published. A key finding is that slow progress has been made, suggesting it will be challenging for FTSE 100 organizations to hit the 1 by 2021 target that was set in 2017. We ask, why does ethnic diversity matter in British boardrooms? Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. In this episode, I'm delighted to talk with Joel Warren and Kuram Hussein. I'm Dr. Sabine Demkowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Welcome, Joel. Welcome, Kuram. Thank you so much for being here with us, Joel and Kuram, and contributing to the Better Boards podcast series. It's great to be with you, Sabine. Thank you, Sabine. We're delighted to be here. So let's jump straight in. Joel, why does ethnic diversity matter to you? Well, Sabine, um, treating others as we want to be treated has been a real guiding principle for us since we set the business up. And that means everyone regardless of gender or ethnicity, age, social background, sexuality. You know, we're a purpose-led employee-owned business and diversity is in our DNA, so we get the moral case. But we've also read the reports. McKinsey's done no less than three over the years, and they outline a really compelling business case for diversity. So there's a moral case, there's a business case, and that business case, well, the most recent one was called Diversity Wins, published just in May this year, and it covered 15 countries, more than 1,000 large companies. And the conclusion was the top quartile of companies for ethnic diversity outperform those in the bottom quartile by 36% for profitability. Wow. In fact, the likelihood of outperformance is higher for diversity in ethnicity than it is for gender. And we work with lots of boards and business leadership teams, so we know the business case is robust. We know that diverse boards perform better. But, you know, over a third of FTSE 100 companies don't have any non-white board members. Yeah. Yeah, but there's also, there's a moral case, there's a business case, but there's also a compelling economic rationale for us here in the UK. 14% of the UK population is non-white, but there are only 8% of listed company board roles that are held by non-white people. And of those, only 2% are UK citizens. What a waste. All that domestic talent not reaching its potential. Business in the communities did a a report um, called Race at Work, And that found that action to tackle racial disparities in our employment market is worth a potential 24 billion annual income boost to our economy. Well, we could do with that right now. Exactly. I don't want to say right now that would come in so handy. Exactly. But it is a really complex issue that needs to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed at corporate level. It needs to be addressed at society level and educational level. 
it's a social injustice. And what we've seen in recent times has brought this issue into the spotlight with pressure from shareholders and other stakeholders that ethnic diversity needs to be addressed. I wholeheartedly agree. So when, but when we look at the Parker Review that was first published in October 2017, and an update has been presented in February 2020, the findings are quite sobering. So what has been achieved since 2017? So as a reminder, Sabine, of the targets that were set by the Parker Review in 2017, it was launched with the name that by the end of 2021, every FTSE 100 group would have at least one ethnically diverse board member, a target that's commonly referred to as one by 21. It was also encouraged that every FTSE 250 group would meet the same target by the end of 2024. So as a mean of comparison and a measure of progress, within the FTSE 100, in 2017, 53% of the FTSE 100 did not have a single director from an ethnic minority background. And three years on, as of the beginning of this year, that figure's been reduced to 37% as having an all-white board. So there's an improvement of 16% within the FTSE 100 over three years. But as Joelle had mentioned, there remains an even bigger challenge with the FTSE 250, with the nearly double in the number of all-white boards. So as of the beginning of this year, 69% of the FTSE 250 that were surveyed have an all-white board. And as a stark reminder, Sabine, of the lack of diversity you find within the collective FTSE 350, there are only 15 directors with an ethnic minority background who occupy the position of either chief exec of chair across the entire FTSE 350. Eight companies account for nearly 25% of all ethnic minority directors. And so there's a concentration of talent in a small number of companies. And if you look at those organisations closer, you see that a significant proportion of these entities are listed in the UK, but they happen to trade internationally. I mean, as a firm, we work with organisations across a range of sectors. And the issue of an all-white board, it's not specific to one industry. There are well-recognised global FTSE 100 businesses, household names, with an ethnically diverse employee base, an ethnically diverse customer base, who are operating today with no ethnic diversity at board level at all. These are companies that are mentioned in the Parker Review, and, and this issue cuts across travel, financial services, property, leisure, and even industrial businesses that operate global supply chains. Since the update in February 2020, it's been pleasing to see that there's been continued progress. So boards that have made ethnic minority appointments since February include, for example, NatWest Group, which has been renamed from RBS, the mining giant Glencore, Ocado, the online retailer, and the insurer Admiral Group, to name a few examples. But with only 15 months to go for the FTSE 100 target of 1 by 21 to be met, clearly activity in this area needs to be ramped up. That, of course, begs the question, why do you think more progress has not been made? And in our experience, I mean, and, and something actually that's evidenced by the Parker Review, there is a consensus that there are many highly competent and qualified executives from an ethnic minority background in the UK who simply don't make it to talent pipelines for PLC board appointments. And there's a combination of reasons for this. We should be asking ourselves if headhunters are doing enough to uncover find and engage ethnically diverse business leaders? You know, are recruitment processes still true traditional and not creative enough? 
Are recruitment partners still searching in the same pool of talent they were looking into three to five years ago? We should also be asking questions of boards, particularly nomination committees. Are they challenging enough of their recruitment partners to evidence how a truly diverse long and shortlist will be delivered? Linked to this, Sabine, there is also the potential culture of inertia among certain boards in not doing enough to challenge the ethnic disparity in their own leadership teams. And I think the lack of diversity at board and senior leadership level requires some self-reflection on the part of businesses because an absence of diversity is as much a failure on the board's part of not being able to reflect the values of inclusivity as well as a failure on a recruiter's part to deliver. The May 2020 report that Joel actually referred to, interestingly enough, shows that there's a growing polarization between organizations that are championing DNI and those that have yet to take action towards it. We also think, Sabine, there are some boards and leadership teams that find it very difficult to talk about race and ethnicity. It's just considered as being too hard. It's too sensitive. And I think headhunters play a major role in navigating that dialogue and, and providing some solutions. There's also potentially more to be done by ethnic minority candidates. We often come across ethnic minority candidates who lack the confidence to pursue major listed board appointments. A few years ago, we saw the same trend with women when tackling the issue of gender diversity. And I think it's true to say your first board appointment is the hardest step in your non-executive journey. And to overcome this, we, we ourselves actually begin our search processes by uncovering and engaging with diverse candidates first. Well, I certainly heard also the argument, what you alluded to, Kuron, that there are simply not enough qualified ethnic diversity people. So, Joel, you're working every day with organizations, recruiting talent to the executive committee and to the board. Has actually anything changed in the way you are briefed? Yes, Sabine. I mean, many of our clients are asking us for non-white talent. But what we found working over the years to tackle gender diversity in the boardroom is it's no good us just taking a brief. We'll often have to challenge what they're asking for. And the same is true for ethnic diversity. But what we're finding is the need for education in the issues is often greater What we've done is we've trained the whole of our team on unconscious bias and we recognise that we all have such biases and we see them in our clients too. So we often have to push back on our client, actually whether they ask us for an ethnically diverse shortlist or not, just to make sure that the person's specification, so what it is they're asking us for, doesn't preclude people of different ethnicities or unnecessarily narrow the field. And what we try to encourage them to do is to look at ability and potential, not just a career path that's the same as them, one they recognize, so that they just end up hiring a mini-me. And in fact, there's one word, Sabine, that I often have to call out, and that is fit. If you're going to get cognitive diversity, people thinking in different ways, which leads to more creativity and drives more robust decision-making, it may not always be comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah, and I suppose we're, we're also keen in our briefings to get a, an understanding of culture. And what we sometimes spot is what, there's a, guy, a professor called Binakindola who wrote a book called Racism at Work, and he calls it micro-incivilities. And he defines it like this, the kind of daily commonplace behaviours or aspects of an environment 
which signal unwittingly to members of out groups that they don't belong and they aren't welcome. I have to confess, I was working with some boards, and this is exactly what one person of color described to me. Mm. Exactly this fit issue. He was on there, but he felt actually very, very uncomfortable and eventually actually left. So, Guram, how do you ensure that people with these different ethnic backgrounds are identified and make it at all to the long list? So, Sabine, as Joelle had mentioned, one of the key things that works for us is the idea of targeting competencies and skills rather than direct experience. So if you look, for example, within the listed real estate and property sectors in the UK, there's a significant lack of ethnic representation. However, there are adjacent sectors with very similar business dynamics, risk profiles, operational models that offer better ethnic minority representation. So as a comparison to property, sectors such as infrastructure, utilities, energy, they all share the dynamics of having long-term assets, significant investment portfolios, advanced ESG agendas, and managing complex stakeholders. So having a search strategy that involves some lateral thinking, as well as challenging assumptions on the parts of clients, is absolutely essential. And to answer the first part of your question, Sabine, around the mechanics of how we identify candidates with a different ethnic background, we're actually using technology to enhance diversity. So we search quite deep into organizational structures to find any evidence that might reveal a candidate is of a different ethnicity. So it can involve searching for clues and keywords, using advanced online search methods across mediums such as LinkedIn, all of the major search engines, the likes of Google, Bing, Yahoo, as well as social media, to find any connections such as a second or third language, a link to an international school or university, an international placement, and even a person's religious affiliation if it helps uncover ethnically diverse talent. And resonating with the point you raised about your experience of, you know, of, of that one individual, I mean, in our experience, good candidates are very selective about boards they wish to be part of. And it's important that organizations promote their diversity values and credentials in a transparent way. Having information, statistics, case studies, and aims about DNI on annual reports, investor presentations, websites, and other online company profiles, it helps deliver a message that DNI is not just about the hiring of diverse talent, it's about a workplace culture that allows people with a different background to actually fully contribute and thrive. And that seems to be the problem. It's so easy to put it into these glossy brochures, mm. but it's so hard to really bring it to life. So when we prepare for this podcast, you mentioned that a lot of candidates are not shortlisted. So they made it to the long list, but there is, of course, a difference between a long list and a short list. So what is actually happening here? Why is this happening? So I guess I mean, a lot of thought has to be given to the hiring process. Is it sending the right message to be interviewed by an all-white board? By doing that, is there the potential for collective unconscious bias? Joelle referred earlier to the idea that any hiring criteria or questions may potentially include requirements or subjects that actually unintentionally and indirectly make it more demanding for ethnic minority candidates to overcome. From our part, I'm really proud to say actually that we've for some time now had a voluntary aim of achieving at least 40% gender diversity on all of our long lists alongside the inclusion of at least one director from an ethnic minority background. 
we're actually in the process of revising this to two. And that's in recognition of the fact that if you look at the research published by the Harvard Business Review that supported the case for gender diversity, it was shown that it's statistically nearly impossible for a woman to be appointed in a short list of four against three other men. And therefore, for very similar reasons, when it comes to ethnic diversity, it's really important that recruiters are not offering a choice of simply one. Can you provide some practical insights into how do candidates with an ethnic diversity background make it from the long list to the short list? Mm. So I think there's something around the preparation and that individual candidates can be doing. But I think what Curran's saying is that, you know, there's a lot that the organization can be doing to prepare them and to make sure that they're not including unconscious bias. I think from a candidate point of view, you know, we are trying to support them. We're putting in place mentors for them and we're trying to help them to anticipate the type of environment and questions that they'll be facing. Fantastic. Can you give listeners with a different ethnic background some practical tips what they can do differently to be considered for a board role or a role on an executive committee? Okay, so I think there are three things. One is internally, one's externally, and one's online. So internally, the business in the community research I mentioned found that 43% of ethnic minority employees would love to access senior management fast tracks, but only 10% are actually on them. So I guess the first step is raising your profile internally to make sure that you are on those fast tracks. And I think something that can really help here is mentoring and sponsorship, either an informal or asking for a formal mentor internally and a sponsor. So that's someone who's going to speak up for you when promotion and roles are being considered. I think the other thing is to get to the board. You need to have much broader experience. We often find people with different ethnicities are coming up through technical routes. And if you're going to be on the board, you need to be able to comment on the full range of commercial and governance issues that might come there. So, you know, be seeking opportunities to broaden earlier in your career. So there's internal stuff you can be doing, but I'd also talk about external stuff. So make sure that you're visible, you know, write blogs, attend industry events, take speaking engagements. There's a huge demand for people who are different, both from a gender and from an ethnicity point of view, to be speaking and to be out there. And it's scary, but Practice makes perfect. And then I would say get yourself an external mentor as well. I think that can help enormously. And network. We hate that word, but it just means building relationships and keeping relationships and not just with headhunters. So much comes through the informal networks. So the internal, the external, and then the online. And Curran's already said, we're using technology to try to identify candidates of different ethnicities. And there are key words woven into our searches. So make sure you're visible, particularly on LinkedIn, and help us to find you. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you. What should our listeners really take away from this podcast? Well, I guess the summary is that diversity does matter in the boardroom and throughout organisations and the benefits are well documented. It is invariably harder to deliver a true diverse long list, but it's the right thing to do. We're working really hard to do that in the case of ethnicity because we believe in the business, the economic and moral case 
but we do need boards to work with us to appoint the great talent to level the playing field, especially at a time when racial inequality has been in the spotlight like never before. Thank you so much for contributing to the Better Board podcast series, Joel and Kuram. Smashing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for contributing to the Better Boards podcast series. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Kura. How can we help you and your board? We love to hear from you. Get in touch if you would like to learn more about our evidence-based solutions for all board evaluations, be it for your internal or your fully facilitated external review. Or maybe you would simply like that we cover a specific topic in one of our next episodes or you would like to suggest a podcast partner. We at Better Boards are delighted to hear from you. You can best reach us on info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening.